0: Welcome to the Cross Loganville's podcast channel. Thanks for joining us as we continue our series on Ephesians. If you've got your Bibles or the ESV journals that we're using, I would invite you to turn over to Ephesians chapter 4. We've been in a series now for about 10 or 12 weeks on Ephesians. uh, Ephesians, And uh, I'm I'm telling you, to me, it is one of the most powerful yet practical uh, books that you will study uh, in the Bible, especially in the New Testament. And if you missed last week, I would really encourage you to go back and grab that message as an intro uh, into chapter 4 as we talk about how we're to walk uh, in our faith with the Lord. Uh, A lot of key breakdown of words and understanding that will help us all. Okay, so I, I would like for you... Uh, to make sure that you, you're you up to speed in what we're doing. So last week, we focused on oneness, and we talked about uh, preserving the unity of the Spirit. That was the entire focal point. And as I shared with you, uh, chapter 4, verses 1 through 16, is all about preserving unity within the body of Christ. The first three chapters deal with Of Ephesians. Uh, It deals with our identity, who we are in Christ. The last three chapters deal with how we're to walk out our faith. So we have established that Jesus Christ is our leader. We are in Christ now. Christ is in us. That is the hope of glory. And we're called to walk in a manner worthy of our calling. And so each and every one of us are. We're to reflect the heart of God in all that we do, all that we say, in our speech, in our conduct, etc. And again, with humility and gentleness and patience and love and forbearance and all these things that we covered uh, last week are crucial ingredients of uh, the attitude of the heart that we're to have as we live out our faith. So today, I want to talk about how unity is realized when each member of the body utilizes and exercises the spiritual gifts that God has given us that's where this text goes okay so here's going to be a premise statement and if you want to write it down uh, I, I think it will it will help you unpackage this a little bit with me um, as, as we as we dive into this text today uh, three uh, just premise thoughts as we get into it. Number one, we're united in Jesus. The thing that brings us together is the shed blood of Jesus Christ, and who we are in Christ is is the determining factor, if you will. Okay? Second thing, we're members of one body. There's only one body, and we're all members. Those who have repented, placed their faith and confidence in Christ, now belong to the body of Christ. And then the third thing that I'm going to dive into today is how we have gifts that differ. Okay, so those three things right there is what we will start to unpackage. We're united in Jesus. Briefly last week, I kind of hit verses 4, 5, and 6, but it says this, there's one body, there's one spirit, just as you were also called to one hope of your calling. There's uh, one Lord, there's one faith, there's one baptism, there's one God and Father of all Who is over all, through all, and in all? So again, if you look at Paul's heart, Tommy, as we step into this faith in Jesus and walking in unity, he lays out all these uh, one-word statements, if you, if you will oneness, unity. It's important that we pull together. Uh, We're one body. There's only one body of believers, as I've said. Uh, we participate in one spirit. There was only one Holy Spirit given at Pentecost when Jesus bows his head and he cries out, ila, lama sabachthani, and he bows his head and gives up the, the spirit. There's one Holy Spirit. There's one hope What is the hope? It's salvation in Christ alone. We all come to that one hope through receiving uh, Jesus through repentance. Uh, There's one Lord. Jesus Christ is Yeshua. Hamashiach the Messiah. Jesus is God in flesh. There's one faith. There's not a denomination. The one faith is Christ. That's what we're anchored in. And that's the reason years ago when we came here, it's like, hey, we're going to name this church the cross because the cross is the most powerful symbol uh, known to humanity, but it's all going to anchor in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. That's what he's saying here. There's one baptism. When we're baptized in the Christ, we're baptized, and we'll have baptism uh, later in the uh, second service today, but we're baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, not in any other denomination, not any other doctrine. And there's only one God, okay? So I want you to understand the importance of of oneness. Now verse 7, verse 7, it starts with one Lord, one faith, one baptism, but, transitions, but, but. Now we're going from oneness and unity to uniqueness, that's where Paul is about to build this next piece right here. We're one in Christ, but God has wired us differently. So when you see that, verse, verse 7 says, but to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. But God has called us to be one. But as Eugene Peterson captures it in the message, uh, Rick, he says, that doesn't mean you should all look alike, speak alike, act alike, sound alike. Out of the generosity of Christ, each of us have been given our own gift. We're gonna unpackage this because to me, if there's one thing that complicates and confuses the church at times, it's this whole understanding of spiritual gifts. Just telling you, I've been in the faith for 35 years and I've seen a lot of battles and debates and friction right here in this area. I would write this down. Unity does not mean sameness. Unity implies uniqueness. U- Unity does not mean same. It implies uniqueness. So as we, if we were to comb through uh, even the body here today, if I look at, at Pat and Glenn, I would go, they've got different gifts. The same thing here. You've got Certain gifts inside of you, Merle. We could go around the room, Richard, Karen, whoever, and what we would establish is we've been called to be one in Jesus, but God has wired us differently. Now, this right here is a very interesting piece that Paul inserts here into Ephesians 4 in verse 8. He goes, therefore, it says, it's in the text. When he ascended on high, talking of Christ, he led captive a host of captives, and he gave gifts to men. I'm going to unpackage those two thoughts. This expression, he ascended, what does it mean? Except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth. He who descended is he who ascended far above all the heavens so that, so that, so that he might fill all things. Now, I want you to get this. This is interesting, and I spent some time in study on this. And if you're watching online, I would invite you to dive deeper in. Psalm 68, uh, there's other uh, references that you can look at. But when you see that phrase, he ascended. Paul used this intentionally. It's the imagery of a victorious king coming back from battle to Jerusalem. Jerusalem sits up on a hill. And so when the king would return from battle, uh, a victorious battle, he would ascend to the top of the hill, back to the throne in Jerusalem. Now what Paul is laying out here is the imagery of our king ascending back to heaven. You got it? So when you see that, he, he who ascended is the one who descended. He who went back to heaven is the one who willfully became man and became the sacrificial atonement for each and every one of us. The king, the king has ascended after defeating death, hell, and the grave. He's victorious and he's sitting on his throne. Now, he says two things here. When he ascended, and then he says, he led captive or led captivity captive. And I was pondering, and I was like that is a very interesting he led captivity captive what does that mean if you're reading that I'm sure you're sitting there going well what what would that even imply Craig this is beautiful here think about this think about this before you came to faith in Christ before you repented Todd before you surrendered what captivated your heart what enslaved you what were you in bondage to Because whatever captivates our hearts, captivated, captured, captivity, whatever captivates our heart, we give our time, we give our affection, we give our attention to. When you study scripture, the Bible says that we were born into this world and we were captivated or captured by three things. We were captured, captivated, we were captives of sin of death and of Satan. The scripture says we were born into this world, dead in our sin and our trespasses. That's what we were enslaved to. That, that's what we were captivated by, if you will. Satan, the prince of this world, was running wild and still is. And for the non believer, he had us in bondage. We were all in bondage to darkness. Again, slaves, sin, death. Satan. But when Jesus died and was crucified on the cross, what did he deal with? He dealt with sin once and for all. Even the statement is made Oh, death, where is your sting? Jesus defeated death. And even though Satan still is the prince of this world, Satan has been defeated and he knows it. He's continuing to wreak havoc. Until those last days, until the lake of fire, etc. And so, when Jesus died, He took captive the things that had kept us in captivity. And that's what Paul is saying. Hey, do you do, do you see it? And so, when you when you think about this, and for the believer. And I would love to see every person that claims faith in Christ, who claims to be a born-again child of God, understand that they don't have to be enslaved any longer to sin, death, and Satan. But there's so many They claim faith in Christ, and it's because we don't understand the first three chapters of our identity in Christ, who we are in Christ, that we're more than conquerors, that we can approach the throne of God with boldness. So many that claim the name of Christ are still being held in captivity and bondage to sin, to death. And they're allowing Satan to eat their lunch. But if we understand this going... Hallelujah. I don't have to be enslaved to that any longer. That was one day of the most freeing things for me when I came to faith in Christ, that the presence of sin is around me, but the power of sin can no longer control me. That now it is the power of the Holy Spirit that lives inside of me. Now, when Paul writes this, you've got to imagine he's writing in a day and, 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 and maybe it would be good even in your mind to say, let, let me go back to that time some 2,000 years ago uh, when your enemy would oftentimes come to your nation, invade, and take people as prisoners. That's what happened in that day. The enemy nation would come in and oftentimes uh, through all the fortified walls and different things that would happen, they would violate a land and they would capture people. Imagine you're out in the field one day working you and your family. And all of a sudden, the enemy rides up in his horses. And all of a sudden, the the enemy army comes, and they capture you. And they take you as a prisoner. And they haul you off to their land, and they keep you in captivity. That's the imagery. You're in bondage for months, for potential years. And you're like, man, is there any way out? Is there any hope? And then one day your king comes riding into town and your king comes in and your king sets you free and takes hostage those who had kept you in, hosti- uh, in, in captivity. What would it do for you? You would go praise the Lord. And so when it says that he took captivity captive, what he's saying is those that had you in bondage, I've dealt with it. You don't have to live in defeat anymore. And this to me is like one of the most powerful things that we can wrap our minds around. So right here in the middle of Paul saying, hey, hey, make sure you're walking according to your calling and make sure you're walking in freedom and and make sure you're loving others and make sure you're extending mercy and all this, he goes, I want you to know that even the things that can keep you down, he's already taken as far as his captive and, and his hostages And and they do not have permission to rule and reign in your life anymore. And then he uses this phrase right here where he says, uh, the second thing is Jesus gave gifts to men. And you're reading that and you're going, all right, so he takes captivity captive, but he gives gifts to men. Why would Paul even say that? Well, when you go back and study in that day, when a king went out to battle with his armies and they would defeat whoever what they would do is the king, he would he would also uh, gather some of the spoil and ruins from that land, whether it be gold or silver or whether it be jewels or whatever. And so part of this processional, when he came back into Jerusalem, I mean, he would have He would be leading the charge, and then behind him would be some of what he had taken captivity, maybe even people as well. And when he came back in, he would go, we are victorious, we won, and here's some of the stuff, the gifts that I'm bringing back to reflect my victory. And Paul goes, no, 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 not our king. When our king defeated death, hell, and the grave, he didn't take stuff with him. He looked at those that were following him, and he goes, I'm going to give y'all gifts. I want you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. But I'm going to give you gifts so that you can reflect my goodness, so that you can enjoy me, but yet you can edify and build up others. And that's the imagery right here. So as I was studying through it, I'm like, this is powerful imagery that he uses. And then uh, I, I, I would say this to you. Because of who we are in Christ and because of our faith in Christ, God calls us now to be members of one body of Christ. Richard, we're just one part of the body. And even uh, Paul uses, again, the human body as an analogy uh, of what the church is to function like. And as I established last week, when one part is hurt or one part rebels or one part is not functioning as it should, it hinders the entire body. And I I don't know about you, but being on the planet for a little bit of time now, uh, I'll be 58 here in a few weeks. And uh, I mean, I shared with you last week that I'll never forget uh, when I jacked up my arm and how my elbow messed up my shoulder and messed up my life. But I was thinking about this body thing, Jesse. And you guys laugh at me. Uh, my kids have laughed at me, going, "Oh, look at you! You just got these li- little old man ankles." And I'm like, "Yeah, well, I, I'll never forget Busted on my ankles. I'll, I'll never forget when I was in college." And and now I, I can't even grow hair on my ankles. So that's a whole another complex piece of it. But but I'll never forget when I was in college. We were playing a we're playing a basketball game. I played baseball, but we're, our baseball team was. Uh, we were going at it with each other. And and this one dude I was guarding, he was so quick and so fast and I'm not quick and fast. And I was trying to guard him and I'll never forget I rolled my ankle really really bad. And it swelled up on me and it hurt so bad. Well, about a year later, I rolled it again. And I remember I went for a run one day years later and I'm running and I see this thing in pit bull or something. I didn't know it was chained up or whatever, but it starts barking. I take my eyes off the road and I'm looking at this dog and I step on the curb wrong and I rolled it again. And that ankle was so jacked, it's still jacked up. But because of that, I started favoring the knee and I put so much stress and just undo weight on the knee that I ended up having to have knee surgery. and But but it ended up creating all this hip problem as well. And I put so much, I'm just jacked up, and I bet you, you are. But, Alan, because I did that, I'm like, oh. And I'm working with my buddy Riley right now, and he's trying to help me unlock my body. And I asked him one day, I said, do you think we can maybe see some results in six months? And he said, Maybe six years. And so I'm like, but reality is, all of the hurt and stress on this side ended up compensating on this side, and then you got the jacked-up back and the jacked-up. And, and Paul uses that kind of analogy of when one part of the body decides that it's going to rebel, become bitter, frustrated, or not take part It it jacks up the whole. The whole body can fall apart. That's where we're going in this. Because the whole emphasis is all believers in Christ belong to one body. We're united under one head. The head is Jesus, but I'm just a member of the body. That's all you are. I'm a member but I want to be a functioning member and I'm not better than you and you're not better than your neighbor or better than me. We're just members of the body of Christ. That's who we are. And we've got to get this because all parts are vital to the whole. We must work together and each believer has been given certain abilities and strengths and gifts by God for the sake of seeing the whole body work together. I want to see you get unlocked today. So Paul in Romans 12, starting in verse 3. Now verses 1 and 2 are two of my favorite verses if you're watching online. I urge you by God's mercy, present your bodies as living sacrifices and don't be conformed but be transformed. Verse 3, through the grace given to me, Paul says, through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, sobering, for just as we have many members in one body and all the members do not have the same function. So we who are many are just one body in Christ. We're individually members of one another, he says. And since we have gifts that differ, since we have gifts that differ, According to the grace given to us, each of us is to exercise whatever those gifts are accordingly for the glory of God and for the good of the body. And and if we could get here, we have gifts that differ. Now, I'm going to drive you at the end to a spiritual gift assessment as well as a shape assessment, and it's going to be made available online. And we're going to send out a link today at around 1230, and we're going to send out to our text line to the cross, if you receive that, we're going to send out a link because we want every person understanding some of how God's wired you so that you will walk in those gifts that God's given you so that you will function for the glory of God and help the body flourish, okay? So we don't have all, all of us don't have the same function. We're members of one body, one spirit, different roles, different responsibilities. Now, again, I'll I'll make this statement multiple times. That unity does not mean sameness. It does imply uniqueness. So God has made you. You're fearfully and wonderfully made. So, So God's given you unique gifts. Brian, he's given you unique gifts. Drew, unique gifts has been given to you. One body, different gifts, different abilities, different roles, different responsibilities, but but it's for just one reason, so that we would all reach a place of maturation and growth. Now, now hear this, hear this, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 7, but to each one, but to each one, those who have repented, those that have Turn from sin. Those that have received Christ and placed their faith and confidence in Jesus. But to each one is given the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Who gets the Holy Spirit? Every person that believes. Are people really walking, activated, and empowered by the Holy Spirit? Some are. But God's given you His power. And his presence through the person of the Holy Spirit. Now, he goes on to say, every person has been given the Holy Spirit. Why? For the common good of all. Why were you given the Holy Spirit? For the common good of all. So, all born-again believers receive the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit demonstrates himself in such a way, Barb, through you, through me, through Craig, whoever, to build up the body as a whole. Do you you understand where we're at? Unity is crucial. I want you to preserve unity. But in order to preserve unity, you're going to have to understand how I've wired you, and I want you utilizing and exercising the gifts that I've given you so that the body flourishes. The New Living Translation captures 1 Corinthians 12 this way verses uh, 7 and verses 11. It says, a spiritual gift is given to each of us so that we can help each other grow. The Holy Spirit distributes these gifts. He decides which gift I should have. This is so important if you come out of some charismatic background because the Holy Spirit decides what gift I get. There's not another person that can grab me and try to force a gift on me because gifts are given by the Holy Spirit. And I've seen so much here. Now, make sure you get this. Make sure you get this. Here is a working definition of a spiritual gift, all right? A spiritual gift is a special ability given by God and given by the Holy Spirit to every believer at the point of conversion to be used to minister to others and build up the body of Christ for the glory of God. You go, why does God even give gifts? it's twofold. It's going to be vertical, it's going to be horizontal. It's always going to be for his glory and it's going to be for the edification or building up the body. Now, if if you really if you really want to study through this even deeper, Ephesians 4, 1 Corinthians 12, and Romans 12 are the three chapters in scripture that kind of give us the spiritual gifts. And according to where you go, there's about 25 of them. Okay? There's about 25 spiritual gifts. And and, and here's what I would say to you. Gossip is not a spiritual gift. Didn't make the list. Slander is not on the list. Bitterness is not on the list. So when you get into it, even next week, you'll see here in Ephesians 4, he he gives four and the last two are kind of combined together. He says, I gave some to be apostles. We'll break some of that down. Prophets, evangelists. And then he goes, I gave some to be shepherds and teachers. And and, and so God's given gifts, but he goes, "The, the reason I've given them is so that we can equip the body and the body would mature and grow up. So any gift that God's given is for his glory and the edification of others. I will tell you this, the purpose of spiritual gifts it's never for the benefit of the individual. It's not for my benefit. It's always for the benefit of others. So if God's given a gift, it's for the benefit of others. Spiritual gifts are given by God to be a blessing to others, okay? To bless the church, to bless uh, the body, uh, even to be an obvious uh, uh indicator and voice to the lost world. I've I've given you this gift for my glory. Okay, two, spiritual gifts are to produce maturity and unity in the body of Christ. So when you use the gifts that God's given you, you will see unity start to take place in the body of Christ. Whether it's serving, whether it's helps, whether it's mercy, whether it's hospitality, whatever. When you bring it In the spirit, not in the flesh, but when you utilize that in the spirit, watch the body flourish, okay? So, this is all teaching. Again, I would encourage you to get online, check out these notes here. But spiritual gifts are given for the common good of all. That's what he says in 1 Corinthians 12. Spiritual gifts are given, this is huge, to avoid division in the church. Oh, when we realize that we're uniquely wired it will eliminate divisions because that oh remember Brennan Manning one of my favorite writers when Manning uh for one of the first times I ever heard him speak and I've used this illu- illustration here but I thought it was so powerful is when he was struggling through some decisions and Manning said he went into this Catholic nun's office and sat there at her desk and she had on her desk a plaque that read I will not should on you And he said, I looked at her and said, I'm here for counsel, but I read this and it says, I will not should on you. What do you mean by that, sister? And she said, Manning, I'm not here to tell you what you should do and what you shouldn't do. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you. I refuse to should on people when they have Abba calling the shots. And what I've seen in the body of Christ is some people in the body of Christ should own other people in the body of Christ and try to make them feel inferior. When we do that, we start to create division and tension instead of seeing people unlocked and being the best version that they can be for the glory of God based on their wiring. Come on. The other reason is to edify others. That's 1 Corinthians 14. And then to equip the saints and bring about unity is Ephesians 4. So there's four things, the common good of all, that's right, to avoid divisions in the church, to edify and build up others, and to equip the saints and bring unity. Now, again, I want to hit it hard one more time, and then we'll get into some practical. Spiritual gifts are not about us, never will be. Spiritual gifts are not about us, but they emphasize God in us. That's crucial to know. It's not about me, but the emphasis is God is in me, and God gave gifts. Okay? So spiritual gifts, and I've seen this one abused big time, Steve. I've seen this one abused and misused. Spiritual gifts are never given to inflate your ego. If anything... A spiritual gift is given by God to deflate your ego and to keep you humble. It's not about me. I want to use what God's given me, spiritual gifts for the glory of God and the edification of others. So as I've studied through this, and again, we'll dive deeper into specifics next week, but here's some basic truths regarding spiritual gifts, okay? Every Christian has at least one spiritual gift. And so as you comb through the 25, God has blessed you and endowed you with at least one. Some of us have more than one, but all of us have at least one. Okay? And the reason that's important is that no person I ever meet that's repented and placed their faith in Christ is giftless. No, you, there's something God has put inside of you. And, and it, if you will do some of this assessment and, and get in proximity with community with other people, oftentimes God has given some people the gift of discernment to help draw out of you what's inside of you that maybe you didn't even see inside of you. Does that make sense? Here's the second thing. No one person receives all the gifts. There's never a person that you will meet that you go, they got all the gifts. No, they don't. They have the Holy Spirit, but they don't have all the gifts. Because if every believer received all the gifts, what would be the purpose of being a part of the body? (laughs) It just wouldn't make any sense. And and I think sometimes that's where people kind of go. But God places us into his body with different unique gifts so that we can build it up. Here's the third thing, Nathan. There is not one spiritual gift that's given to everyone, meaning there's not one gift you're going to read about that God gave to every person in the body. It just didn't happen that way. I've heard people say, well, hey, we've all got the gift of—no, we don't. That's fallacy because God, through the power of the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, has divvied up—all right, Richard, I'm going to give you some some gifts, but here I'm going to give you some administration— I'm, I'm going to give you counseling inside of you, but there's certain things he's given you. Karen, I'm going to give you helps, I'm gonna give, but there's certain things he's poured inside of you. And, and no one person has them all, but there's not blanket, like everybody gets this one. It's not the way it works when you study it. Here, here's another thing. You cannot earn a spiritual gift. You can't earn it. A gift is something that's been given and again, I'll never forget. I come to faith in Christ. I'm walking with Jesus. And this, this, this is like a year into my faith journey. So I'm still trying to figure out what it means to walk with the Lord, Rick. And I'll never forget. This, I was in Arizona. This was 1986. I came to faith in October of 85. And, and I met this dude, and he was, he, he was kind of a wild Pentecostal dude. And he goes, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And I said, yes. He goes, Well, has it manifested through you speaking in tongues? Like, nah. Well, if you receive the Holy Spirit, you're going to speak in tongues. And I said, Where'd you read that one at? I'm only a year into the faith. I'm in spiritual diapers at best over here sucking gerbers, but I'd read 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 and Ephesians 4 and Romans 12. I, I dove into the word and I said, You cannot substantiate that. And I saw people trying to Force certain gifts on other people, and it creates again more division and dysfunction than it does unity. You can't force it. You can't earn it. Here's another one: the Holy Spirit declares what I get. The Holy Spirit decides what I get. Here, here, here's what you get. Okay, great. Then stand in line for it but I am to develop whatever gifts God g- has given me. I'm, I'm going to give you some gifts, but it, it's up to you to develop the gifts. It, it's just like a muscle. You've got to use it. You've got to work it out in order for it to grow. And and I've shared with y'all, I'm, I'm just telling you, this stuff helped me. I, I did all these spiritual gift assessment stuff way back, but I, I remember I was like two years into the faith and I was in a Bible study. And, and, This girl looked at me, and she said, uh, God's given you the gift of teaching. (sighs) No, not me. I'm scared, right? I'm scared. Did you see my SAT score? God has not given me the gift of teaching. God didn't even give me the gift of being able to listen to a teacher. (laughs) You want to see my GPA? There's no chance. No, no. It's a spiritual gift. It's not based on your flesh. It's a spiritual gift. God's giving you the gift of teaching. And I'm like, you think? And then another dude goes, hey, brother, I believe God's giving you the gift of teaching. Really? I'm scared to be in front of people. I don't make any sense. I'm dumb. Remember. No, God's giving you that gift. It's got to be exercised. It's like a muscle. Here's, here's the seventh thing I would tell you. It's a sin to waste the gift that God gives you. If God is really giving you certain gifts, it's a sin to waste it. I'm not going to do it. Well, I'm, and, 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 and so many of us can play that same card I played. We'll play the card of fear. I'm scared. I, I don't think I can do it. And all of a sudden, God brought people into my life that were further along in their faith journey that breathed a little life and encouragement saying, no, come on, you're going to figure out how to do this. And, and, and reality is, all of us think we're failures, but God is giving you certain gifts. There's some people that have the gift of giving. There's some people that have the gift of leadership. Now here, do, don't, don't, don't miss this. Please do not miss this one. The gifts of the Spirit are not to be confused with the fruit of the Spirit. Don't confuse this one. Oh, if we could get this one down. Fruit reveals my maturity. Fruit shows my maturity. Gifts reveal my areas of ministry. That's the reason we will say that when your giftedness takes you further than your character can sustain you, shipwrecks are bound to happen. There's some people that try to function in their giftedness, but they don't have the fruit of love, joy, peace, patience, all this stuff of the fruit of the Spirit working and the character of God, and they're going to shipwreck Because they end up focusing on giftedness instead of the maturation of the fruit in their lives. I've seen it a hundred times. The fruit of the Spirit is for all, the gifts of the Spirit differ. Don't, Don't confuse them. Gifts can be leveraged for selfish gain, gifts can be leveraged for you promoting your own cause producing Christ like fruit is the goal and here's something I wrote in my notes gang please please i would rather be known as fruitful than gifted because we live in a culture and Rick if we've had one conversation brother in this area We've talked about this since Rick got here. There's so many people, even young people, that get fascinated, whether it's a musician or a speaker, with that dude who looks like he's got this national platform, and they're like, I want to be like him. And they're admiring giftedness, not fruit and character. And you've got to be careful what you admire. You with me? Now, we're to test the spirits. We're told in Scripture, test the spirit to see if the spirit is of God. And, and I'm telling you, you, you can just create your, a little simple filter, like a coffee filter, and go, here are the three things to test whether that spirit is of God, whether that's a spiritual gift of God. One, does it really bring ultimate glory to Jesus? Does it bring glory to Jesus? Two, does it edify the body and build the body up? This dude's got this gift, but is the body being built up? Three, is it a strong, solid, good witness to non believers? Karen, that helps me big time. Because as we work with people and meet people, I just listen. People that have come in here, I just listen. Earlier this year, a guy comes in, yeah, yeah, I'm a pastor, moved here from New York, Pentecostal, man, spirit-filled. I'm like, I hear you. Yeah, man, I'm just looking for a place to serve. Get involved, man what's your story? And the dude comes in, man, just immediately throwing resume on the table and and people just watch them. Are they an attraction? Are they a distraction? Do they use a lot of dig me hero kind of statements, self-serving appeal? And, And this is what that dude left that day. Here's what, here's what I heard. If you guys knew who I was, you would be blown away. I'm like, dude, don't come in here pimping a resume. Don't do it. All right, so we're going to get, we're going to dive deeper in. Now, here's where I would go, just in close. Here's where I would go. Here's where I would go. Listen, be careful. Not to promote certain gifts. Do not expect others to be like you, serve like you. This causes a lot of chaos inside the church. And according to what denominational structure or affiliation maybe you've been a part of, there's some people... Now, God has called us all to go into the world and make disciples. That, that he's called us all to be disciples. That means being the best I can be and all I can be for the glory of God and helping others be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. But underneath that, God has really given some people the gift of evangelism. And I've been in churches that wanted to make everybody evangelists, and that's not the way they're wired. You follow me? Again, back to the Pentecostal stuff, I've seen some churches want to make everybody tongue talkers. I'm like... You slobber too much, dude. Hush. It's not, it's not working. Too much slobbering going on. Now, here's what I know. If you have the gift of mercy, you may expect other people to have the gift of mercy. I'm, I'm going to bring this home. People with the gift of prophecy that see things as black and white and are about confrontation may want other people and expect other people to have the gift of prophecy. And when you get a person that's really strong in mercy in a Bible study with a person who is really strong in prophecy, or if you get a marriage where you've got a person who's really strong in mercy that's married to a dude who's really strong with prophecy. I'm not speaking from experience. I know a couple that this would fit because Barb is so merciful. Her gift makes this, there's so much mercy and hospitality inside of her, and I am so stinking prophetic. I can tell you, if you start to lean into the flesh just a little bit, sparks will fly, but if you can sit there and go, all right, help me from a mercy lens, kind of maybe package this a little bit different before I say it, but then help me from a prophet lens kind of discern a little bit more before i get knee deep into this mercy stuff over here and i can tell you early on in our marriage i didn't know why but i'm like why is she wired the way she is and i'll never forget she she told me after about four years into the marriage nathan she goes i don't cry near as much as i did that first year and i'm like I didn't like that it made me sad but here's what i know if we value the unique wiring of other people and the unique gifting that god has given other people we don't see them as competition we see them as completion in regards to living out the body narrative come on somebody All right, here's, here's the wrap of it, Oh, Our gifts do not make us superior or inferior to others. It's easy to want to elevate that one or elevate that one or to say, well, that's inferior. That's not inferior. I mean, I thought my arm was going to get me a scholarship because I could throw hard. Little did I know that that little ankle down there when you can't land on it. This thing right here ain't going nowhere. You hear me? Old school before they had all this high-tech stuff. I, I got the ugliest. If you are watching online, I'll show it to you sometimes. I got probably the ugliest big toe you'll see on my left foot. <laughs> but I had to have ingrown toenails cut out. And Dean, this was in the time, brother, before they just you went in there and stayed like 10 minutes and they shot you and it, They put me in hospital overnight, man, and cut it and dug all these roots out and stuff. Can I tell you something? That toe, I couldn't land on it. Man, you ain't throwing for a while, brother. And every member of the body, I was like, well, this, that right there was my money. (laughs) Man, I got to get that toe right. I got to get that ankle right. I got to get that knee right. I got to get that gastroc right. I got to get that hamstring loosened up. Come on. And the body of Christ, when we look at going, Hey, I got to get this person over here with giving, giving. I got to get this person over here with serving, man. If they can get freed up, man, they're going to serve. I got to get this person with evangelism, man. Let them loose. Come on. And when we all function together, we flourish. So I would tell you there's no superior or inferior gifts. I can tell you using your gift without love is worthless. So much so that in the midst of this conversation of 1 Corinthians 12, Paul just says, oh, hold on, let me go on and deal with this. He spends an entire chapter talking about, now love is and love is. And if I can speak with, with all this eloquence or if I can speak in tongues like a champ or if I can do this and all this prophecy, but I don't have love, I'm a clanging cymbal. I'm just a noisy gong. Every Christ follower is a crucial part. All right, so this link is going to go up on our website. Uh, there's going to be a text that goes out. Do you have that link, the last thing in this uh, slide right here? Uh, because I've got the spiritual gift te- uh, test, and, well, maybe not. So here, here's the deal. I've, I combed through quite a few this week. Rick Warren uses a thing called shape, okay, where he looks at spiritual gifts, heart your abilities, personality, and experiences of life. And I think Rick Warren does a good job of helping people kind of understand how God's wired them. The Denison Forum, Nick and I sat there the other day, combed through many. And it's about 75, maybe 100 questions that you fill in. But it's going to give you, as you go through this, and if you're honest, don't, don't answer it like according to what you want to be. Just answer it the way you're wired, the way you really God's really wired you. And so the the other day, I mean, that one comes out. And I mean, profits way high for me and teaching and mercy Barb. I'm sorry. I mean, I I didn't see it on the list. But anyway, anyway, like if you'll take that test honestly and go through it, then next week we're going to come in and dive deeper because, as Paul says, I gave gifts. And we're going to look at some of this. And we want every person fully alive in Christ, living out, Cindy, their uniqueness in Jesus. Does that make sense? All right, everybody, everybody clear on this one today? If you're watching online, hope you're clear. Hope I brought more clarity than confusion as we talk about this. But again, I would tell you, I, I personally would rather be known as a fruitful follower of Christ than a gifted brother because then I know that the Holy Spirit's having permission to really permeate and work in my life. Hey, thank you so much for watching the message. Uh, we hope that you really pulled some things out of it. And just know that our desire is for every person, whether you ever step in this building or not, to become fully alive in Christ. Yeah, we want to see you committed to Christ. We would love to see you connected to others in a small group. And we believe it's important to uh, become a contributing member to the body of Christ through uh, sharing your faith uh, as well as financially investing in the work of God. That's right. And so we pray that you're growing, that you're striving forward. There's so many resources on the website. You can watch past messages, your testimonies from people. And we pray that you utilize those and we hope to see you on a Sunday morning. Hey, make it a great day and enjoy the abundant life in Christ.